When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 131, and we are recording on May 8th. I'm Amanda Nelson, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello. (laughs) How's the state of construction landing? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I don't know if they, like, it's not done, but they appear to be taking a break, I guess. Oh, good. Great. Usually when I call Jen to get on these calls, she's like, sorry, somebody's building a skyscraper in my bathroom. Yes. That's generally (laughs) almost exactly what happens. But today we're taking a break. So I guess Mm -hmm. I will be grateful. Mm-hmm. It is lovely here, and Rebecca is coming over with chicken nuggets, and we're going to eat some chicken nuggets on my jack, so that's, that's getting um, me through. That is the best plan. Yes, it's a very good plan. It's a I'm very good plan. It. it is also gorgeous here, and the birds are really loud. <laughs> like yes. They're like just incredibly loud. It's kind of amazing. That's a much better interruption than construction noise. Yes, way better. <laughs> I will take it. So what are you reading these days? Uh, Yes, I am in the middle of So Lucky by Nicola Griffith, who wrote this like really sort of dreamy, historical, almost fantasy called Hild that I loved. Mm. But her new book, which comes out on May 15th, is completely different. Um, It is about a woman who is the head of like a huge AIDS foundation. She's a martial artist. She's a lesbian. And then she, her wife leaves her and she gets diagnosed with MS and Mm. basically like her whole life starts to fall apart and she's trying to figure out how to deal with it. And then maybe there's also something supernatural going on. Like it's really intense. It's really sharp and like jagged and edgy and just a lot of really intense words because intense (laughs) is what I'm saying (laughs) and will continue to say. It's really, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing. I mean, it it is amazing. Um, And it wasn't at all what I was expecting. So I'm really hoping to have some time to like dig into it soon. What about you? Um, I just started Luis H. Francia's History of the Philippines, which I picked up um, because I read another book for this week's show that I'm going to talk about later. That is about a very specific section of Filipino history um, during World War II. And the book that I read was very um, fawning about General MacArthur Mm -hmm. and... um, the American occupation of the Philippines in general, and I had a lot of problems with that. So I wanted to read something that was actually written by a Filipino historian. So I picked this up. I've just started it. It's like kind of sweeping. It starts pre-Spanish colonization, so in like the 14th century. So I got a ways to go before I get to his opinions about MacArthur, but you know, we'll get there. Mm-hmm. Ooh, epic history. Okay, so as I mentioned, how the show works. This is a podcast for personalized reading recommendations. So you can send us your reading recommendation requests, whether you need something for yourself, your book club, um, you're going somewhere and you want to read a book that takes place there, you know, whatever. You need some summer reading suggestions, whatever. You can email those to us at getbookedatbookriot.com, or you can drop your questions in the form at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If your question is time sensitive, please uh, put that, you know, in like big letters in the first line 
of uh, the request if you're using the form or in the subject line of the email so that we can try to get to your question on time. We might respond to you via email if we're not going to get to it on time or if we have already answered the question on the show. Um, okay, so before we dive in, we do have a few bits of feedback where readers give suggestions to uh, the people who have written in. Um, Sarah has a recommendation for Nella, who is asking for a diverse mystery series. Um, she recommends the Detective Eloise Norton series, which is by Rachel Housel Hall. Um, the first book is The Land of the Shadows. She says, I hate that this series doesn't get more attention because it's so good. Lou is a black woman and an LAPD detective and is also a really delightful character with a great internal monologue. Um, and then Kelly has a recommendation for Chris, who was looking for books with characters on the autism Asperger spectrum. Um, she recommends A Desperate Fortune, Fortune by Susanna Kearsley, uh, which is historical fiction with two parallel running narratives, a modern day programmer and an amateur codebreaker on the spectrum who is hired to decipher a historical journal in France. So thank you so much for your feedback. Um, all right, let's get to our first question. Jen is going to read it. Oh, I missed one. Sorry. Oh, from Jessica. Who, same question. Um, for Chris, also recommended The Journal of Best Practices, A Memoir of Marriage, Asperger's Syndrome, and One Man's Quest to Be a Better Husband by David Finch. Okay, now we're going to get into the first question, which Jen is going to read and tell us about our first sponsor. All right. Uh, so this question is from Sarah, who says, my husband loves fantasy, but hasn't read much recently. He has a long road trip this summer and is looking for a new series to dive into on audio. His past favorites have included Game of Thrones, of course, anything by Patrick Rothfuss, Anne Rice books, and The Lord of the Rings. I had him try N.K. Jemison's fifth season, and he couldn't get into it. Any thoughts? Before we give our thoughts on that, which we have, um, I'm going to tell you about our first sponsor, which is Lady Rogue by Teresa Romaine. Uh, this is the third in her Royal Rewards series and is a delightful combination of proper Regency characters engaging in perfectly improper behavior as they flaunt the ton and commit larceny right beneath the eyes of the law that's right larceny mm -hmm. hey <laughs> <laughs> um so romaine writes with a brand of wit charm and lightheaded adventurous plot lines and vivid characters and this is one of those regencies that has characters that operate outside the norm of the upper class circles. So if you're like tired of tea parties, um, this has art forgeries and art theft and the Bow Street Runners. Um, and if you are a fan of Suzanne Enoch, Sabrina Jeffries, and Stephanie Lawrence, uh, this is definitely one that you should check out. And Teresa has been called one of the rising stars of regency historical romance by Booklist. So again, that's Lady Rogue by Teresa Romaine. It's the third in her royal rewards series give that a look and thanks for sponsoring the show i'm just gonna keep talking um <laughs> because i'm excited about this question because it's another chance to recommend the series that not that many people i know have read and i think you all should read it if you like game of thrones it is the acacia series by david anthony durham the first book is the war with the mine and it also takes place in a sort of you know medieval-esque world except that this one really is truly international um the current dynasty is presided over by Leoden Akarin, who has four kids, um, and he gets assassinated, because that's what happens when you're the ruler of the world, and the kids get smuggled out of the palace during the assassination 
separately. Like they're basically flung to the four corners of this world and they're all different ages and they all have very different personalities and you're following them as they sort of try to make it now out on their own. Some of them are sent to people who are friendly. Some of them are not. Um, And you also are seeing all of these political machinations like who assassinated Leoden and why. And there's like epic battle sequences and there's some magic and there's there's, you know, some really gory stuff, too. Um, it's not pretty, let's say. Uh, like, cannibalism, never pretty. Um, mm. But it has a lot of that, like, epic adventure story feel. But it's much more diverse uh, in terms of the populations that the that you experience as a reader um, in the series. And it also has significantly less sexual assault, which is a nice change of place uh, for medieval fantasy. But it's got, like, I mean, it's got plenty of violence. It's just not that kind of violence, mostly. So that is the Acacia series. Again, it's The War with the Mine. And there are three books, and they are all out so dive into that. Why don't you? I recommend it. <laughs> I highly recommend it. Okay. I picked, excuse me, the Shades of Magic series by V.E. Schwab, which I just finished listening to the whole trilogy on audio. Um, I was buddy reading it, buddy, buddy listening to it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> with a friend and it was great on audio. And I'll say the last one is like 20 hours long. So if you're going on a long road trip, this will carry you through. The whole series will definitely carry you through, like maybe across to the other side of the country or wherever. Um, anyway, yeah, it's super long and great. Um, so it follows the adventures of Kel, who is a guy who is raised in Arns in Red London and serves as an ambassador. He lives in the palace. He's been like raised as um, a prince and he serves as an ambassador to the other Londons because in this universe there are parallel, um, well, parallel universes. It's various Londons exist side by side. They all have different levels of magical ability. Red London has a lot of magic. Everybody uh, almost is born with at least some magical ability. Um, there's White London, which has very, very little and is ruled by a really bloody, violent regime. Black London, nobody goes into uh, the magic there, like overtook it and destroyed all of humanity. And then Grey London, which is very similar to our world, where there there isn't really any magic and nobody even really knows it exists. So uh, Kel travels between these different empires um, using his magical ability uh, in order to like relay messages between the different uh, rulers of the various Londons. When he's in Grey London, he encounters Delilah, who is a thief and whose greatest ambition in life is to be a pirate. (laughs) And she is a very cutthroat and um, crafty kind of character. She steals from him. She steals something from him that she never should have touched or taken, uh, and thus begins this epic fantasy adventure that lasts three books and, like, 50 hours. It's really, really great fun. The um, villains in each of the books are, are really kind of complicated. There, are, there aren't really any. Like the um, the humans who are the bad guys, you, you end up seeing, you know, kind of their motives and, and they become a little bit more human. And the good guys, Kel and Lila and Kel's brother, who is the actual prince um, whose name I can't remember, um, are, they're all kind of jerks. Like the heroes are, are heroes in as much as like you're rooting for them, but they're very, very flawed. And Lila especially is a terrible person. Like she's just kind of a terrible person, but you, you're here with her because she's interesting, you know, and that's, that's true. I think of all these characters. So it's a really interesting thing that, um, Schwab is doing here with the, the hero villain kind of dichotomy. 
And she's doing it in the context of this really interesting magical world. I've just said interesting like five times, I'm sorry, of this fascinating magical world. Um, and uh, lots of adventure. Like there are actual pirates and cutthroats and um, assassins and all this kind of stuff. So it's just it's just great fun and a re- I think a really good road trip pick because it's very engrossing. So that's A Darker Shade of Magic is the first book in the series. The series is just called The Shades of Magic by V.E. Schwab. Okay, question two is from Melissa who says, two of my best friends have made me the proudest auntie of three little boys. They are four years old, eight months old, and two months old. I love to gift them books. I always try to send at least one for every birthday or Christmas. All three of my nephews are multiracial and two of them are brothers, the four-year-old and eight-month-old. Four-year-old and eight-month-old. I want to gift them books that have one or more of the following themes. Unique storylines, characters who are not white, stories that provide a broader view of the world or culture curated for little people. I do not have a very deep knowledge of children's lit and find myself a little stuck can you suggest books or authors to give me or for me to gift to my nephews? Um, let's see. Below is a sampling of books I've given them, given them in the past. The Day the Crayons Quit, The Paperback Princess, and Little Leaders, Bold Women in Black History by Vashti Harrison. Uh, decidedly too advanced for a two-month-old, but beautiful, and he will grow into it. <laughs> You're right. He will. Very good. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. I picked a book for the two-month-old. Jen and I kind of split this question. She took the older kids. Um, and even the eight-month-old is fine. It's a, it's a board book. It's called A is for Activist. It's by Inosanto Nagara. Um, and this is exactly what it sounds like. It's one of the, you know, typical board alphabet books that you find for babies, uh, where A is for apple, B is for whatever, banana. I don't know. I'm doing a fruit thing right now, apparently. Um, but in this one, every letter takes on a different word associated with civil rights, social justice, environmental activism, um, queer rights, uh, progressive politics of some kind. And, you know, it sounds when it sounds like it's um, really a board book for adults because, you know, no, no baby is going to understand the concepts that you're, you're reading about here. Um, and that's true. It is kind of one of those things where like, you buy this for your liberal parents. But also um, the, the vocabulary words, I think are really useful because, you know, there's so much, there's so much uh, science out there about the more uh, variety of words you expose really small children to, the more likely they are to have to be able to process bigger vocabulary words later in life um, and be better writers and readers and all that sorts of things. So, you know, it is an A is for Apple, it's an A is for activism, and H is for health, and J is for justice. So they're not, you know, several multisyllabic words that a kid is never going to even really grasp, um, but they are kind of lofty concepts. But since you, since if you give this to the eight-month-old and the four-year-old is kind of floating around, the four-year-old is probably going to pick up on some of the uh, concepts that you're saying. And so it could be a good discussion starter for the older kid as well as just, you know, little babies when they want board books, they just like the pretty colors and like really, um, I'm making this weird hand motion. Uh, contrasting colors is what gets babies really attracted to books. And and this has all of that. So, you know, even though the, the, the little ones probably just going to end up chewing on it, I think the older kid will also like it too. So that's A is for Activist by Inosanto Nagara. I have a gush and then a quick shout out for this one. <laughs> um, my gush is for Nino Wrestles the World by Yuyi Morales. This book is so cute. Oh my goodness. Um, it is a lot about a little boy named Nino who is the greatest wrestler of his age. Um, he maybe just has a mask and his underwear on, but he is like a, he's going to defeat all of the baddies. Um, and 
and the whole story sort of takes place while his little sisters, uh, little baby sisters are napping. Um, and then the ending like ends with a little sibling fun times. The colors are so bright. Um, and this is one of the, like, I literally don't know any other books that have this kind of topic. Like I've never seen any other picture book celebrate the Lucha, you know, Mexican wrestling culture. Um, it's kind of amazing, and it is a mix of English and Spanish, so there's an opportunity there to learn some Spanish words. Um, and, yeah, it's just really fun. It's very, like, bright and shiny, um, and it's just super cute, and it also encourages, like, like your, the four-year-old in particular will now want to have, like, Lucha Libre in the living room. <laughs> like, you know, fair warning. Um, but, yeah, I'm a huge fan. And Yui, excuse me, Yui Morales, um, who is the author and illustrator, has a new book coming out this year that I'm already planning on, like, pre-ordering for my niece, um, who is Latina. Like, I just cannot wait. Uh, she just does amazing work. Um, her art is so good. The stories are so fun. Like, I just, I love her so much. Um, um, and then I just wanted to give a quick shout out to another picture book that came out recently called Julianne is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. And it's about a little black boy um, who lives in New York City and he's on the subway home with his abuela and he sees, <coughs> excuse me, um, or excuse me, a little brown boy. Um, and he sees uh, three women dressed up as mermaids. And so he decides he's going to dress up as a mermaid too. And it's just so sweet and really cute. Um, and another one where you see a world that has lots of different colors kinds of people in it doing lots of different kinds of things, which is, you know, what it sounds to me like you're looking for. Um, so that's Nino Wrestles the World by Yui Morales and Julian is a Mermaid by Jessica Love. All right. Next question is from Grace, who says, I am taking women's history and my professor is focusing on American women who influence history. She assigned a project on women we don't talk about but have influenced or changed society. I've been left wanting more because I want to learn more about women who have influenced outside America. I would love to read more on Mexican women, British women, African-American women who have influenced history. I've already read Code Girls, Wonder Woman, The Wolves at the Door, and Headstrong. What you got, Amanda? Okay, I went with The Leper Spy, the story of an unlikely, unlikely hero of World War II by Ben Montgomery. Uh, and this is about a woman who influenced history outside the U.S., but her actions had a big influence on American history. So um, it's a biography of Joey Guerrera, who was a Filipino woman during World War II who contracted leprosy. Uh, and she was very sick with the disease during the Japanese occupation of the Philippine Islands. And she couldn't um, get medication because the occupation, you know, all of the medication went onto the black market and became super expensive. So she broke out in like the full on, she, she refers to it in the book as like Old Testament, you know, leprosy. And because of her illness, the Japanese were, the soldiers were, were horrified of her. They didn't want to touch her. Um, usually uh, the soldiers would search civilians who were moving around the city uh, to make sure they weren't, you know, smuggling or spies or carrying any kind of information. But nobody, nobody wanted to touch her. So they let her, she, because of her illness, had essentially free movement around Manila um, during the Japanese occupation, which she was probably the only person who had free movement around the city during that time. And so she used that to become a spy <laughs> for the Allies. She started working for the U.S. government um, and the Filipino um, guerrilla underground resistance movements, giving the government and the guerrillas information about where the Japanese troops were stationed, where their guns were stationed, where their uh, 
she was very observant and figured out just by watching officers come and go where their underground secret tunnels were of the Japanese army. Um, she stored arms in her house. She took all of these huge risks that would have really gotten her, you know, if, if the Japanese had bothered to pay attention to her at all, um, killed and probably tortured. Um, and so her work really played a huge role in MacArthur's return to the Philippines and his uh, fight to beat the Japanese off the islands. Um, and then after the war, she ended up in like a really terrifying leper colony, like essentially forgotten by the people who she had served so well. Um, and then the army chaplains found her and brought her to the U.S. And she was the first foreigner with with leprosy to be, you know, to ever be welcomed into the United States where she fought for her health and kind of used her fame to speak for other people who were suffering from the disease and kind of fight against the stigma of it. So yeah, it's, I had never heard this story ever. And it's like World War II history is so my jam and obviously Filipino history. So I like was, when I heard about this book, um, which like Rebecca's sister was reading and she, she, who's a nurse. And so Rebecca like took a picture of it and sent it to me and was like, have you heard of this book? And I was so happy to read it. Um, anyway, so it's such a fascinating story. It is very much about the history of World War II on the islands and Josephine's story is kind of woven into it. So you can really get a picture of the big context of how her actions changed like the entire course of the war. So that's The Leper Spy, The Story of an Unlikely Hero of World War II by Ben Montgomery. My first pick for this question is not out until July 3rd. So I'm just going <laughs> to mention that everybody who wants to know about women in history needs to pick up Empress by Ruby Lal, which is about um, the reign of Noor Jahan um, in the 1611-1600s. She basically became an empress and helped rule the Mughal Empire, and that was not a thing I had ever heard about. Um, so that is coming out soon. But you also mentioned that you wanted to learn more about African-American women who have influenced history. And the the first book that I thought of um, that I read and just kind of had my mind blown by is Hidden Figures, uh, the untold true story of four African-American women who helped launch our nation into space by Margot Lee Shetterly. Um, this book is perhaps a bit obvious, but also not that many. I mean, I, people have read it, but everybody needs to read it. Um, and you didn't mention it in your list of what you had read. So I definitely super highly recommend this. Um I had no idea about the histories of women in early days of the moon missions for NASA and very much none at all about the African-American women um, who were dealing with not only, you know, the civil rights era and the space race um, and the Cold War, but also, you know, sending people to the moon, like literally we would not have gone to the moon without these women. It's super fascinating. And Shutterly tells the story with a bit of a personal spin as well, um, because she grew up in a community of, you know, scientists and engineers and, and sort of found all of these traces of it in, um, in her own community. So tracing it back, you know, she was talking to people, some of whom she knew um, about this history that has really been sort of buried and elided over. Um, and then obviously you can go watch the movie, which is awesome. So it's a nice one-two punch of history for you. But yeah, I, I think this is definitely one that should be on your list. I know it's not international but it includes space so i feel like that <laughs> should count um so that's hidden figures by margot lee shetterly would space be considered like it's e extra, extra national? there you go extra okay. national <laughs> <laughs> 
Prefixes are fun. Indeed. Okay, question four is from Melissa who says, let's see, my son's birthday is coming up towards the end of May. He'll be turning 21. To my excitement, I've been able to find my way through a few books that we've both been able to form a connection over. We seem to enjoy... Uh, and like talking about them together, but now I'm stuck. Could you help me with recommendations? Among his favorites are The Night Circus and Little Big by Crowley. I've not read those yet, but from how he describes them, I would like to. Books I gave him that we both liked are the short story collections of Edgar Allan Poe and Shirley Jackson. Also, uh, the Quaidon Stories and Studies of Strange Things, which are a collection of Japanese ghost stories with mythological and traditional backgrounds. Graphic novels are a big plus because of his love for art. I'm not sure if this will help, but we both like Tim Burton. Okay, I picked Neil Gaiman. Just all of all of it, everything. <laughs> I think that anything Neil Gaiman has written ever in his life will probably be right up y'all's alley. Um, specifically, I was thinking of the Sandman comics, um, since you mentioned really wanting to get into graphic novels, and they feel very Tim Burton-y. And Neil Gaiman and Tim Burton are they're buddies, right? Am I making that up, or is that just like fan fiction they in my head? Work together. Yeah. yeah, they work together on. Um, oh. Corpse Bride, I think. Anyway, right. so uh, yeah, they have they're very much aesthetic, and they have the same hair. So I feel like there's a lot. <laughs> True, just that big, like eccentric <laughs> artist, gray-haired, wild-eyed thing going on. Uh, but the Sandman comics are about um, like uh, the gods are personified. So there's like there's a character who is deaf and who is very nice, and is a lady who wears a lot of black leather. Um, and the Morpheus, I think of his name, is the dream god who is the main character who you're following, um, who, you know, gives you dreams and nightmares and things like that. Um, the Graveyard Book, I think, would be really a really good pick. Uh, it is a kid's book, but I have read and liked it as an adult. Um, and it's about a little boy named Bod whose entire family is murdered in the opening bo- opening chapters. And he is a baby at the time, and he, like, wanders out of the house and manages to end up in a graveyard where a bunch of ghosts take over his care and raising and protection. Uh, meanwhile, the man who murdered his entire family is out there looking for him so like he can never leave the graveyard but of course once a little boy gets to a certain age how are you going to keep him in a graveyard um so it's got the same sort of things with like the same kind of feelings as the night circus and poe and shirley jackson i think all of neil gaiman's book have that elements of supernatural a little bit creepy or even maybe a lot creepy um and a lot of them have like uh stardust have have uh, romantic elements in them and they all have that kind of dark sort of tim burton-esque aesthetic so really you can't go wrong by picking up basically anything he's maybe not the norse mythology myths but basically anything else neil gaiman has written would probably be a big hit um for you and your son so yeah neil gaiman is my suggestion (laughs) um i am very excited by this question because you gave me the perfect opportunity to recommend recommend Wayward, which is a graphic novel about a young woman who is uh, half Japanese, half Irish, and she returns to, she goes to Tokyo to move in with her mom, um, and she discovers that she has supernatural powers. So it's a graphic novel. You already like Japanese ghost stories, um, and it's like a very like grim horror supernatural kind of thing. So I feel like this is going to be perfect for you guys to read. Um, So yeah, Rory is like a teenager and she's a little bit, you know, feels very caught between different worlds um, and is coming to Tokyo to live with her mom. And she, as once she gets there, she does discover that like the weird things start happening and maybe she can control some of them. Um, And there is a like, Catwoman, and there's a boy, and there's just a bunch of like undergroundy sequences, and some of it is really creepy. <laughs> like this, this graphic novel is so creepy. Um, and what I love about it is that it does sort of 
it's inspired by Japanese ghost stories and mythology. And then at the end of, um, at least when I was reading it in issues, and I would hope that they kept this for the collected edition, when I was reading it in issues, there would be an essay at the end of each issue that would tell you like the actual story and history of the mythological creature that that issue was playing with. Um, so you would learn all about these, you know, demons and ghosts and different types of supernatural creatures um, from Japanese mythology. And it was really, really fantastic. Um, people tend to pitch it as like a, like a Buffy, but in Japan with some Hellboy <laughs> thrown in. And I think that's a pretty fair description. Um, so yes, I, it is not as far as I'm aware of own voices, um, but I, I found the, the story is really compelling and, and it, and the art is really great. And um, yeah, I really enjoyed reading this. So that is wayward volume one string theory that collects the first five issues. Hope you enjoy it. Okay, before we move on, I'm going to talk about our second sponsor, which is Everywhere You Want to Be by Christina June from Blink YA Books. Um, and this is a modern tale about dance inspired by Red Riding Hood. So the main character's name is Matilda, and she is injured in her senior year. Um, she's a dancer, and she's like kind of watching her dreams since her injury of becoming a contemporary dancer slip away. But then she gets a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to spend the summer in New York with a dance troupe, and nothing is going to stop her from doing this. Her mother doesn't want her to go. Her mother wants her to give up her this idea of becoming a dancer and just go to Georgetown and get a real job. Um, she's kind of scared of going to the big city, all of these things. So her mom finally allows her to go on the conditions that she will visit her abuela in New Jersey regularly, and that after the summer is over, she'll give up dancing and, and go off to college. So Tilly goes, and... Um, determined is like determined that she's going to make a success of it um she meets fellow troop member sabrina wolfrick wolf red riding hood anyone yeah <laughs> um who, who also intends to succeed you know at any cost sabrina is a villain's villain she's she's into sabotage and blackmail and is really trying to trip tilly up literally figuratively um throughout the summer but with all that even though without that all even with all that going on um, Tilly can't help but fall in love with the city, uh, especially considering Paolo, who is a handsome musician from her past, is, you know, hanging around New York at the same time as her. So that's nice. Um, so the weeks wind down, competition heats up, and Tilly's entire future is on the line. She has to decide whether she wants to follow her mom's path into Georgetown or kind of go off into the great unknown to become a dancer. So that's Everywhere You Want to Be by Christina June. All right. Eat you. The next question is from Fabiola, who says, I have recently read Me Before You by Jojo Moyes and really enjoyed it, especially the controversial subject of assisted suicide that's legal in Switzerland. I've also previously read The Universe versus Alex Woods by Gavin Extens that has the same subject in the book. I got very interested in the subject and haven't been able to find any great books that deal with this matter. I was wondering if you'd be able to help me with that. Okay, so I picked a nonfiction for you. It's a kind of a memoir, kind of journalistic nonfiction. It's called Knocking on Heaven's Door, The Path to a Better Way of Death by Katie Butler. And the author... Um, had this very sort of specific vision of what would happen when her parents 
ruled. Like, you know, they would like, you know, have like they would putter around for retirement and then they would gradually slow down and they would die peacefully. And that's super not what happened in her family. Her father suffered a stroke um, that was really debilitating. And her mother became a full time caregiver. And um, Katie became one of the also caregivers um, for her parents. And her father was given a pacemaker that actually basically just prolonged his suffering. Um, He had dementia and was mostly mute and just totally miserable. Um, And he asked his wife for help to die. Um, And so it was a very complicated situation. Um, And the doctors refused to disable the pacemaker. Um, And so she started researching sort of the the medical industry and these these like, you know, uh, sort of things that are supposed to be health assists, but that prolong that can prolong suffering um, unnecessarily. And then her mother also became ill, like in the, as she started researching what to do about her father. So this is, this is deeply based on her own personal experiences, um, with her parents failing health and trying to navigate the medical industry. Um, but she also starts to look at the broader implications and the technology and, you know, the societal and cultural influences that are all getting tangled up here. Uh, so yeah, it, it, it's taking on this exact subject. Um, what, you know, what is the moral choice? What is the ethical choice? What is the kind and compassionate choice? And how do you decide all of those things when you are sort of in the middle of dealing with watching your loved ones suffer, um, but also not wanting to let them go? So that is Knocking on Heaven's Door by Katie Butler. Okay, I went with kind of an unconventional pick for this, which is an essay, not necessarily a book. It's At Death's Window by Anne Lamott, uh, which is in her book called Grace Eventually, but is just one essay out of several in that book. Um, And you can read At Death's Window online still. I think it's still up on the LA Times. Um, Was that where it was originally published? It's still up on wherever it was originally published website. Um, So if you don't want to go buy the book, you can still read it. And this is... Uh, an essay that Anne has written about an experience in her life of helping a friend die. Her friend was very ill. He was chronically ill. Um, Anne has decided that he doesn't want to continue with his very, very painful treatment. That's probably not going to go anywhere. So he asks Anne to help him uh, by administering the medication that he needs to die. And so she agrees to do that. So he has one last like big dinner party with his wife and all of their friends. Everyone comes over and like does this big, beautiful celebration of his life and his experiences. And then after everybody leaves and helps him with what he asked her to do. And so, you know, a lot of books, um, I think that are about this topic, approach it from a very kind of like philosophical, maybe even a little bit cold, not necessarily cold, but like, intellectual, making it into an intellectual argument. And I think this is so much more personal because it is an episode from Anne's personal life where like somebody that she deeply loved and cared about um, asked her to help him do this thing. Um, And she decided that it was the only real option that she had as somebody who loved him. Like it was the only loving um, option that she had for somebody who was really deep in physical suffering. Um, so, you know, you're going to need tissues. You're going to need, mm. maybe don't read it on the computer because you're probably going to cry. And then you got, you know, getting water on your electronics. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, um, 
It's short. It's only, you know, in the book, it's only, I think, about 10 pages. I remember finishing it and being like, oh, God, <laughs> like, how did she pack so much into such a little uh, essay? Um, and the rest of the book is worth reading, but it, the other subjects are more about, like, how much she hates George Bush and not necessarily about anything having to do with assisted suicide. Um, so I would just maybe go Google this one essay. So that's At Death's Window by Anne Lamott. Okay, okay. Question six is from B, who says, though I used to read a lot of urban fantasy romance in the past, more recently I tend to just dabble in romance. One of the things that I really wanted to see is a heroine who's not instantly great at the sexy times. I thought I'd found the perfect heroine in Lady Philippa in One Good Earl Deserves a Lover, but unfortunately, as soon as the steamy scenes became physical, our heroine is very not awkward and instinctually knows what to do. I don't know if this is a weird request, but I would like to see some more awkward and not intuitively good at sex, sexy times, between the romance hero and the heroine. Okay, I picked Once Upon a Tower by Eloisa James, um, which is the fifth book in her fairy tale series. But once again, this is not a thing where you have to have read the other ones in order to enjoy this one. They are very much standalone. Uh, and this is about a girl named Edie. Um, and the, her the hero's name is Gowan, I think. And they're both young. They're both virgins. He is the duke. He's a duke. And he's like looking for a wife, a very appropriate wife who he can take back to his giant house who will be a good, you know, caretaker of his estate and bear him many children from her loins kind of a situation, like very business transaction sort of thing. And then at a ball, he meets Edie and he thinks that she, or maybe it's Eddie. I've always pronounced it Edie. Her name is Edith. Anyway. Um, and he thinks that she's perfect. Like she's very, you know, pale skin, white dress, demure, looking at the floor, never speaking, will probably serve his purposes just fine. So he he proposes um, to her father, is accepted, and the wedding is moving forward. The problem is that she is not anything like that. She's not demure, submissive, looking at the ground. She was just, like, had the flu. <laughs> like, she literally was too ill to operate properly at this ball, but still was pressured into going by her mother. So she, she's not actually super, super pale. She does have opinions and will look you in the face when she speaks. Um, and so when he discovers that the person he proposed to is maybe not anything like the person he thought he was marrying, that causes a little bit of friction. But they get over it. They get married anyway. And then the wedding night happens and it's terrible. They are both virgins in the book, which is kind of a refreshing thing because a lot of time with historical Regency romance, the, the woman is a virgin, but the dude is, you know... Um, a rake and has lots of experience, but that is not the case here. He was previously betrothed to a woman who I think died, if I remember correctly, and he um, kind of decided as he was growing up and was a young man and a teenager that he was going to stay true to this betrothal, even though he didn't feel necessarily like doing so. Anyway, so they're both they're both virgins. The wedding night goes really, really badly. Neither of them are satisfied, um, and uh, it causes a lot of emotional complications to the point where Edie locks herself in a literal tower on the property to get away from him um, because she just like she both wants to send a message and doesn't want to see his face and so a great way to do that I guess is to lock yourself in a giant building um, and it's just this it's I'm sure you can tell since these are fairy tale retellings it's a twist on Rapunzel um, and he has to kind of earn her back and get her out of this giant and like he climbs it it's all very romantic and like lovely but yeah <laughs> I, I read this um and had a, a reaction to the the sexy times that was very similar where it was like oh this is refreshing like nobody's having instant orgasms <laughs> like they have to really work for their uh, both their relationship and the physical satisfaction that comes from two people knowing what they're doing neither of them know what they're doing here it's very awkward um so yeah that's once upon a tower by eloisa james i picked a contemporary that is 
it's it's not technically a romance because it's it, you have to wait for your happy ending until the second book. So don't expect a happily ever after at the end of this first one. It's How Not to Fall by Emily Foster. I think it's worth reading anyway. Um, it is a it is about a young woman named Annabelle who is a, a senior in college and she works in a lab and she's very like researchy and science motivated and all of that stuff. Um, and she is also a virgin and she decides that she wants to get experience with a postdoctoral fellow who also works in the lab named Charles. And he's like British and awkward and really nice and sweet. And he's just like, no, I can't do that because like, you're basically my student. I'm basically your teacher. There are these things called ethics. Like, no. Um, and so she's just like, well, okay, fine, whatever. Um, but they end up becoming friends. And then when she graduates, things start to get steamier. Um, but there is sort of like a very adjustment period, let us call it, um, for them. And things do ultimately get very steamy, but it does take, like, there's an actual arc. Um, things aren't, like, instantly perfect. And um, and I think that's handled really well. And the thing that I like about this book is that it is written by a sex educator and it's like very trauma aware and it's very consent focused and like it is super refreshing to see all of that too um and they really there really is like a nice balance between the sort of real world stuff that sometimes can get glazed over in romances um and the like the stuff that you're in it in a romance for in the first place so i really yeah I, I, I really like this book. I, I think the series is worth reading. Um, again, caution, no happily ever after at the end of this one. So like be prepared to like be angry and throw the book a little bit. Um, <laughs> so that's, that, that's How Not to Fall by Emily Foster. And our last question is from Violet, who says... Black Panther has long been one of my favorite superheroes, and I am so bleep pleased that the movie was so good and that so many people are excited about it. I've heard it described as Afrofuturism, which is a term I've heard before, but I'm maybe not as familiar with as I'd like to be. I think I'm a little more interested in a novel, but I'll take a comic if you've got one you are excited about. I'm not even sure if these qualify under that genre, as my understanding of the term is loose, but I've read N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy, and Octavia Butler is on my list. What else have you got? What do you got, Amanda? Okay, um, my understanding of the term is also pretty loose. Like the definition that I've been functioning under is like art about the experience of black people and technology, like the intersection of those two things. But if any of y'all out there have a more precise definition or a more accurate one, then please let us know. Um, so I picked Binti by Nettie Okorafor, which is a novella. And there are two additional um, novellas. So if you like this one, you know, you can go read more. Uh, and Binti is a 16-year-old girl who is a member of the Himbo people, and she has been offered a scholarship at Umza University, uh, which is like the best university in all the galaxy. Um, and she has to get on a spaceship and go, go there to, you know, uh, go to school. But the problem is that her family... Her people, in general, do not leave Earth. Like, they don't ever... They're very tied to the land. Um, their skincare regimen involves them coating their, their skin and their hair in the red clay that surrounds the lake where they live. Um, so they are, like, literally tied <laughs> to the land. They don't, they don't leave. Uh, and so she's the first one to leave. And so this doesn't just become a story about, like, a 16-year-old girl traveling far away from home and how frightening that is. But in doing so, 
she's really given up uh, her place in her society, her opportunity to ever get married. Um, but her, her family is going to have to write her off, uh, all this kind of stuff. And so she has made the choice and she's willing to pay it. So she gets on this ship, she makes a couple of friends and you settle into this novella thinking that like, you're going to read this story about a girl who like overcomes some prejudice from the other races on the ship and then like goes off to school and is successful. But then the ship gets invaded by this alien race called the Medusa who kill everyone, like literally everyone except the pilot and Binti. Um, and she survives because she has this old piece of technology that she found uh, near her home that she's been carrying around as like a good luck charm. She doesn't know what it does. Uh, and then it turns out to be, she figures out how to operate it and it allows her to communicate with this alien race that have invaded her ship. Um, and so it saves her life both by being like a weapon and by being a translator. Um, and so then you you stick with her as she negotiates for her life with this very violent um, race that is on the ship and she has to figure out why they're there because they have a treaty with the ruling class of people from Earth. And so they have no reason to be there. Um, she finds out why they're there and then starts to become maybe a little bit sympathetic to the reasons why they have reacted so violently to the thing that has brought them on board the ship. And so she agrees to become their ambassador to um, the, the like ruling class at the university. Um, so it's really short. I mean, it's a novella, so it's like 50, 60 pages, or I'm sorry, yeah, like about 100 pages, um, and super fast moving. But Binti is such a great character, and she is like a super genius. Like she does this thing, uh, it almost sounds like kind of meditation that she calls treeing, where when she needs to calm herself down, she just starts thinking in equations and like smaller and smaller and smaller equations. She just does this like math stuff in her head that like centers her, and it's just so fascinating because my brain does not work like that at all. <laughs> um, so yeah, Afrofuturism. Woo. So that's Binti by Nettie Akorafor. Yeah. So the the term is. I mean, there's a lot of different definitions out there that are all kind of pointing at the same thing. Um, one of them is what Amanda said. Another mm. one that I've heard that I kind of focus on because it it fits into the books I'm also interested in reading is that it's um, art that envisions possible futures um, for members of the Black community, you know, Africans and the African diaspora. Um, and I think that's super interesting to think about um, in a lot of ways. And I'm going to link to a post that we had on the site that's um, other books like Black Panther for more of that like future, futurey stuff. But I'm going to go a little bit sideways for a second because <laughs> I've been thinking about this ever since the book came out. Um, and one of the things that I loved about Black Panther is that it does envision this sort of hidden world that is like it's almost a utopia right like it's there's beautiful technology and people have what they need to survive and it's sustainable and it's green and it's just gorgeous and um and 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 it exists alongside of our world right so there's this moment when you go through that like protective veil i'm like spoiling something am i spoiling things i don't know wakanda it's amazing um <laughs> But you, so. I don't think I am spoiling anything. So you go through the Veil of Wakanda and you see it all like laid out and you're just like, oh man, this is here. Like this is now. And I got a little bit of that feeling from Alyssa Cole's A, a Princess in Theory, which is the first in her new romance series, The Reluctant Royals. Um, it is about a young woman um, in America named Naledi Smith, who is in graduate school for like epidemiology. She's a disease scientist. She's super practical and pragmatic and down to earth. Um, she's also a former foster kid. So she doesn't have a lot of family ties, doesn't really know much about her own history. And she starts getting these emails 
emails that it's like the prince would like to marry you. Like the prince of Thessalo is excited to like finally deliver on your engagement from when you're children. And she's like, this is spam. Like this is really annoying spam. Um, so she's been ignoring the emails. And then lo and behold, like turns out there is a prince and he comes to America to find this young woman who he has been supposed to marry and to understand why she's not responding to his emails um and so it is like it is a romantic comedy and like hijinks do ensue and their secret identities and all of that stuff but at a certain point um he's like i need you to see i need you at least to see where i'm from and they go and it's this really cool kind of similar feeling um they go to thesolo which is not real um it's a is a country that Alyssa made up based on um various other sort of african countries and in particular lesotho um and she, and and Naledi is like you know, they, they're doing things there in terms of especially um, science and technology that you couldn't implement on in the United States because the scale is just too big and the politics are too fractured. But you have this like small country that's like very sort of figured itself out and is trying to make the best possible decisions. And it's not a utopia. It's not always easy. There are some people who are trying to make bad decisions um, that the prince like has to deal with. But it has that same feeling of like this sort of amazing and beautiful reveal where Naledi is like, oh, I kind of didn't imagine that there was a place like this. Um, and it's such a cool part of the book. And and I just love the book as a whole. But yeah, that was, like, I've been thinking about it ever since because I read the book right around the same time as I saw the movie. And it does have that feel to it. So it's not like straight up like, you know, science and superheroes and rockets and aliens, uh, Afrofuturism, which there is a ton of great stuff out there. But it has that little like Wakanda is now revealed to it that I really appreciated. So that's A Princess in Theory by Alyssa Cole. And that's our show. Hey. So thank you all so much for listening. Please go leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you like the show, or I guess if you don't. (laughs) Thank you so much to our sponsors for sponsoring our show and letting us, you know, make this fun thing. You can find us on social media. I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson and Jen. Is on Tumblr. It's jenirl.tumblr.com, and that is Jen with two N's. And we will be back next week. 